This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. You know, that's a really simple song, isn't it? Three simple words. What are they? Our God saves. Sometimes it's easy to come to church and, I don't know, get lost in the moment and thinking about other things or how great the worship band is and, or maybe if the drummer missed a beat or whatever else that might reach out there and snag our attention, what we're going to eat for dinner today, wondering if somebody else is here at church. It's really easy just to get distracted in a myriad of things and to miss that point. I have an idea that we're going to sing that song in eternity. And I also have an idea that the first day in eternity, we're going to sing that with a lot more gusto. For the first time, we'll realize what it actually means to be saved. I just want to say welcome to you. My name is Ron, and I'm the senior pastor of New Life. And uh, every Sunday there are people who are here for the first time. And so to all of you who are here for the first time or even the second or third time, welcome to church. You are our guests for the morning. And as Bob said to you earlier, uh, this is a day that you could do a lot of things in. It's kind of pretty out there today. And uh, you could be a lot of different places, but you chose to be here this morning, and that's a big, big deal. You chose to come, and uh, at least for the next hour or so, you have chosen to be part of this community of faith, this family of believers, and I just want to welcome you. Even if you don't claim to be a believer in Jesus, we're still glad you're here. Maybe I should say we're especially glad that you're here. Because this is a church that isn't so much in search of religion as it is in search of two indispensable things to life. Number one, God. And number two, truth. In fact, if you look on our stage or you look up on our screens, what's the first word that you see up there? Yeah, you can say it louder than that. What's the first word? Reality. Reality. That's a really, really important word. And that's what we're going to focus on, the concept of reality. In fact, the sermon series is called Reality Check because it's based around events and teachings in the life of Jesus that are recorded in the ninth chapter of the book of Luke. And all the way through that chapter, Jesus is helping the people of his day and his time, and it's been recorded for our instruction. He's helping us learn how to face and deal with the realities of life. And it's an interesting series of events and teachings that Jesus gives. So we're working our way through that. As we do every year, we take some segment of Jesus' life and we study it. Because He is our leader. He is our Savior. He is the one who points the way to salvation. And in fact, He is the one who has purchased our salvation. 
So now speaking of reality, there's a very interesting thought question that I want to postulate this morning. Because it's a question that absolutely permeates our culture. And here it is. Can I create my own reality? In other words, is the answer to life found in my looking inside myself? And do I have the power then to create the reality in which I want to live? Do I have the power then to choose a philosophy in life that sounds good to me, and then because I choose to believe it, I choose to accept it, and I choose to build my life around it, does it then become true for me? Or is the real answer to life found in discovering what is already real and aligning my life with the unchangeable realities of life. I was driving through our city this morning, and I realized that you and I are surrounded by reality. We trust it every day. That's a sign, right? You know what we believe about every sign? We believe that signs tell us the truth. I was driving down Petaluma Boulevard this morning, and there was a speed limit sign, and underneath it, it said, Radar Enforced. Now, I happened to know I was only two blocks from the police station, so I had very good reason to believe both of those. Now, does that make sense to you? And then I got a little further down and I realized that there was a sign. And it it pointed that way and it said Payran Street, right? And it pointed this way and I can't remember what it said. What does it say? Magnolia, thank you. And I believed that both of those pointed to reality. Now, if I turned on a different street and I said... I choose to believe that this is Magnolia and not that other street. Does it then become Magnolia for me? What do you think? No. You see, there, we are surrounded every day with these wonderful reminders that there is a body of reality that supersedes you and me and it transcends who we are and it does not change for us no matter who we are or no matter how much we want to either believe it or disbelieve it. It kind of makes no difference. It just is. Now Jesus recognized that. I want to point you to a couple of passages in his life. The first was at the very end of his life as he stood before as he stood on trial for his life, here's what he said uh, in the book of John. Jesus said, I was born and I came into the world to testify to the truth. I want you to underline the most important word in that passage, and it's the word the. Bet you never thought you'd hear that at church, did you? 
Jesus didn't say, I was born and I came into the world to testify to a truth or one of the truths or truth as it appears to me. I was born and I came into the world to testify to what? The truth. Doesn't change. And all who love the truth will recognize that what I say is true. Not just true for them, but true. Universally true. Now why is truth so important? And why did Jesus say, I came to testify to the truth? Well, here's why. He said earlier in his ministry, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It will bring a freedom in your life that you cannot experience until you know the truth. There's an old saying that goes like this. What you don't know won't what? Is that really true? That's not true. Okay? Because many of the things that you don't know will kill you. If you eat food that's poisoned and you don't know it's poisoned, does somehow, does it just become a blessing to you because you didn't know it was poison? I don't think so. No, that's not how life works. You see, it's in knowing the truth and aligning our lives with the truth that we can experience true freedom in life. Because people who don't know the truth are forced to live in the bondage of ignorance. And believe me, ignorance brings bondage. So I want to talk to you about that this morning out of the life of Jesus. Because we're going to talk about one of life's greatest realities. And it's my prayer that by the time you leave here this morning, that you will have a very keen awareness of this reality and that you can live in this reality every day of your life. I made a statement last week that I didn't actually, <clears throat> I didn't actually expound on at all. But I want to go back and pick it up this week. I said to you, I wish, sometimes as a pastor, I wish that every person, every one of us could live every day in the context of eternity. It's so easy to lose the context of eternity and just get wrapped up in today. In fact, I've never known a pastor who didn't struggle with that. I've never known an individual Christian who didn't struggle with that. It's easy to come to church, get tuned into the reality of eternity, and by Monday morning we've lost it all, right? And now we're just back at work mad at the people who are not treating us fairly and wondering why is life so unfair to me. Yeah, it just, it can happen so quickly and so easily. So this morning we're going to talk about the context of eternity. And I want you to write this down because you can put it in the margin of your notes. Uh, on the inside of your program, you'll find a half sheet of notes. Those of you who are new might not know this, but on the inside of your program, there's a half sheet of fill in the blank notes. Somewhere in the margin, I want you to write down this statement. Okay? I have been given an eternal soul.
That's a truth that's in the Bible over and over and over and over again. It's so easy to focus on the 70, 80, 90, sometimes 60, 50, 40 years that we live here and to think that my soul exists for that amount of time. That's not true. You and I, all, every human being has been given an eternal soul. That means that no, 200 years from now, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, you will be living somewhere. Your eternal soul, who you are, on the ins, that, that, that spirit or soul that's on the inside of your body will be somewhere alive. That's huge. We'll get into that a little bit more today. So the question is, what do I do with that eternal soul or spirit in the here and now? Well, one of the things that will help you live the here and now better is understanding what eternity looks like. And in the story this morning out of the life of Jesus... Jesus gives three of his closest followers a peek, a little glimpse into eternity. So I want to go to our core Bible teaching right now, and I want to read it to you. <coughs> About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Then two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus, and they were glorious to see. Not bad. One of those guys was 1,500 years old at that time, and the other was about 1,100 years old. All right? Have you ever seen anybody that age? You might have seen a mummy or two, right? Probably wouldn't describe them as glorious. All right? So let's move on. They were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep, and when they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, by the way, that is a statement of Peter's life right there. Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, all right, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, One for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud came over them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice finished, Jesus was there alone, and they didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Now, if you read that story in the other accounts of Jesus' life, you'll find out the reason they didn't tell anyone is because Jesus specifically told them not to. Okay, what an interesting story. How many of you would like to have been there? I would love to have been there. How many of you would have been scared to your toenails? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. But how fun. That's better than Six Flags any day, right? Exactly. You're on the top of a mountain and you hear the voice of God and you get a glimpse into eternity. Well, there's at least four things that we can learn about eternity 
just from that passage. And I want to take a few minutes to point them out this morning because these are the realities of our lives. This is where we're headed. This is what God says is going to happen in our lives. So the first reality is this. Eternity exists. Now with greater clarity than any prophet who ever came before him, and with greater frequency than any prophet who ever came before him, Jesus spoke about eternity. He spoke about heaven. He spoke about hell. He spoke about the paradise of God. He spoke about what it was going to be like. He gave some detail about both heaven and hell. He began to break it out. And on this day, he said to his three closest followers, I'm not just blowing smoke. I want to give you a glimpse into eternity. And when I read this passage, I realize that one of the messages that God gives to me is that eternity is not something that was dreamt up in the mind of some religious philosopher somewhere. Eternity isn't something that just comes out of a culture somewhere, but that eternity actually does exist. Hard evidence. One guy that's 1,500 years of age, one guy that's 1,100 years of age, and they're looking mighty fine. They're looking better than they ever did on this earth. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But the first thing that God would want you and me to know is that eternity is a reality. It's not a, I hope so. I, I, I kind of think so. No, it's a reality that you and I need to embrace today. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a couple of minutes. There's a second thing about eternity that we can learn from this, from this event, and that is nothing exists in heaven as it does on earth. In other words, in that exact form. In fact, I wrote down in my, in my notes, the key word here is that word transformed. You might want to go up and underline it. <coughs> Moses and Elijah are there, but they have been transformed. Jesus gave Peter, James, and John the opportunity to look at him as he would be transformed eventually when he ascended back into heaven. And they got to see the glory of Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm sure they didn't get to see the full glory of Jesus, but the part that they saw left them mighty impressed. I'm amazed at how often it's our tendency to try to make heaven like earth. That somehow we would be greater comforted if heaven were just um, a different or better form of earth. And in fact, if you look at the religions around the world, they're often, they often present heaven as one of two things. Either like earth on steroids. In other words, when you die, you get a planet of your own right? Or you can do whatever you want to do. And if you're in the right religion, you even get a harem that comes with that, right? And so heaven's just kind of like earth on steroids. No, 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 no. That's way too cheap. That's not what heaven's like. 
You know, Moses and Elijah had been transformed from ordinary people into their eternal bodies. And Peter, James, and John got a look at that, and they were like, dude, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Check it out. <laughs> yeah, that it was transformed beyond anything that they could imagine. In fact, as they wrote about it later, you know what they, they could only use the word glorious because there kind of weren't any other human terms for that. Use the word transformed, use the word glorious. Friends, don't ever let anyone sell you on the best that you can ever hope for is somehow to be absorbed into some sort of eternal consciousness or essence and lose your identity and go out of existence. No, no, no. Not when the reality is that you can be transformed into something glorious beyond anything that you could imagine here. Have you ever looked in the mirror and wished you could be transformed? Every day, right? Yeah, you don't want to admit that here now, but that is the truth. Right? Guess what? It's coming. A glorious transformation. That's God's promise to us. It's a third principle in here. And that is this. Earthly identities are retained in heaven. I find it interesting that it does not say that Moses and Elijah wore name tags. Even though I have one this morning, right? Somehow, Peter, James, and John figured out that was Moses and Elijah. I don't know if those guys, those two guys just showed up on the mountain with Jesus. And Jesus went, oh, Moses, long time no see. But somehow they knew that that was Moses and that was Elijah. Think about this for a minute. Moses was still Moses. He wasn't some nebulous eternal being that somehow had lost his earthly identity. The same identity that he had on earth, he retained in heaven. Elijah was still Elijah. Wow. There's a very comforting truth that we're going to come back to in just a few minutes. But it's very clear. You know, I said something to you last week. I quoted a line out of the movie Gladiator on Father's Day. I just want to remind you of it. Maximus says, What we do on earth echoes in heaven. Remember a while ago I said, I wish that we could all live every day of our lives in the context of eternity. It's a challenge for you and me to believe that what we're doing here this morning and what we're going to do this afternoon and what we're going to do this evening actually has implications that echo in eternity. And the identity that you are choosing today And the person that you are choosing to become will determine the person you are in eternity. So you know what any pastor worth his salt would say to you? Choose well. Right? Yeah, choose well. 
Here's a fourth reality. Take a look at it. Heaven is fully aware of what is taking place on earth. Fully aware of what is taking place on earth. Moses and Elijah landed on the mountain and they didn't look at Jesus and go, Dude, who are you? They knew. They didn't look at Peter, James, and John and go, Who are they? Evidently, they knew. And when they talked with Jesus, they were fully up to speed with what was going on in Jesus' life. And they even knew a little bit of what was going to take place in Jesus' life. And they talked with Jesus and, and, and I think, comforted Him and strengthened Him in advance of the suffering that He was going to go through. Because there was only one thing on their minds, and it was what was going to happen in Jerusalem shortly. Wow. So those are four realities of eternity that we can learn from that one little glimpse that Jesus gives us into eternity, into forever. So what applications do those have in our lives? Well, let's kind of look at the first one and understand this. That eternity not only exists... I think we're going to get there. Let's go to life application. There it is. I should live each day making myself fully aware that eternity not only exists, but what's the rest of it? But will probably come much sooner than I expect. How many of you have noticed that the older you get, the faster time goes? You know, as one guy said, you know the problem with being over the hill? You pick up speed. (laughs) It's exactly right. You just start going down in a big time hurry. I, I often reflect on the statement that I believe Bob pointed out to you a few weeks ago when he was speaking. And that is, oftentimes, Billy Graham gets asked the question, Uh, Billy, when do you think Jesus is coming back? And his favorite answer is, I don't know, but for you, in a very few years. Yeah, and that's the truth. If you're 30 years of age today, okay, for for you, the the, the, the time clock of life is ticking, and you'll be blessed to get 50 more years. So you know when Jesus is coming? 50 years or less for you, probably. And it may be 30 years or less. Or it might even be 10 years or less. We tend to think of eternity as something that's way out there. But the truth is, it's a lot closer than we think about. So that's the first application principle of life. Jesus would have us say, live today in the context of eternity because it's coming sooner than you would expect. Second life principle would be this. I should draw hope (coughs) from knowing that God wants to begin the transformation process in my life long before I enter eternity. 
You know, if the one and only purpose in life is for you to be saved, then the day that you choose to accept Jesus, he'd be better off just to take you to heaven. That's it. But you see, God has a purpose for your life on this earth. And that's why those who have chosen to become followers of Christ and who fully yield themselves to following Christ find an energy and a strength and a purpose that gives them peace and joy and satisfaction that others only dream about. They have this rock-solid life. Why? Because already God is transforming them into what they will be in eternity. They just get the head start. And you know what I've noticed in life? Those who give God the greatest freedom in that transforming process in their life end up living the best lives on this earth They experience the greatest joy and the greatest security and the greatest happiness and the greatest fulfillment and the greatest satisfaction. And those who tend to hold out and reserve and still live their lives for themselves and only yield a portion of their life, they get only a partial dosage of that transformation. And their joy is diminished, and their purpose is diminished, their satisfaction is diminished. They get just a piece. Can you remember when you were a small child, and it was dessert time, and your mother brought out the pie, which happens to be one of my favorite desserts, And she said, Ron, do you want pie? Now that, my friends, was a redundant question. Okay? It it was one that uh, she already knew the answer to. But I remember when I was old enough that my mother said, Ron, you can have a whole piece of pie. Just as big as everybody else got. I thought I had arrived That's right. I'm in there with the big people. Getting that full piece of pie. Not that half a piece. Not that little shorty piece. Not that half a scoop of ice cream. Full piece of pie. Big bunch of ice cream. Just like everybody else. Now friends, if that's true for pie and ice cream. You understand where I'm going with that? Why would we be satisfied in life when God said, Here's full transformation. And full joy and full peace and full security. And we go, I'll take a nibble. God goes, Are you on a diet? You know, where you really don't want the greatness of life. You don't want to live that stuff. So there you have, there's the principle. I should draw hope from knowing that God wants to begin that transformation process in my life long before I ever enter eternity. Here's life application principle number three. I should draw comfort from knowing that the relationships of this life will not only be retained in eternity, they will be what? You can say it louder than that. They'll be what? And it's it's hard to write and talk at the same time as I understand. 
I want you to think with me just for a minute. How old was Moses? 1,500 years. How old was Elijah? About 1,100 years of age. You think they knew each other on this earth? No. But now they're buds. Now they're hanging out together. You know, they've been living in eternity now for better than a thousand years. They know each other really well. They have been dispatched from heaven on this day with a very special task. And they show up, who knows how far heaven is from here. They show up miles and miles and miles from heaven on the same mountain in Galilee with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And they probably look at each other and go, Hey, Moses, what's up, dude? You got sin here too? So did I. All right, who's going to take the lead? And they're there to have a conversation with Jesus. What a wonderful comfort to know. I've got a father in heaven. I've got a grandfather in heaven. I have two grandfathers in heaven. I have two grandmothers in heaven. I was blessed to come from a family heritage, multi-generations of believers, dedicated believers who gave their hearts and lives fully to Christ. You know, and when I think about the fact that my father's in heaven and my grandfather's in heaven and they were both pastors and they knew each other on this earth, but not like they know each other now. And the thousands of miles that they traveled together and all the stuff that they, that they did together in this life and that they're hanging out together in eternity and they're looking back on their lives and they're laughing about times they had together, but not just them. They're hanging out with Moses and they're hanging out with Elijah and they're hanging out with Who knows who they're hanging out with right now? What a comfort to know that when my life ends on this earth and my family is gathered around my deathbed and they're getting ready to say goodbye to me here. What a comfort to know that when I get to heaven, I'm no stranger there. I got all sorts of friends already there. And what a comfort to know that when my family says goodbye to me in this world, it's only a few years until we say hello again. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live every day in that context and be aware of it? Life application principle number four. I should draw encouragement from knowing that heaven is not only aware of what is happening in my life, It's supporting and encouraging me. Have you ever wanted to kind of shout these three words? Where is God? Yeah, I've never known anybody that didn't want to shout those words. Okay, God, I'm at the end of my rope. I've tied a knot and I'm hanging on. I'm getting really tired. Where are you? You can pick up the book of Psalms. And there are some chapters in the book of Psalms where basically you could summarize the whole chapter by David saying, okay, God, I'm here. Where are you? I keep praying, but I'm not hearing anything. I keep waiting for you to act, but it doesn't look to me like you're taking any action. Are you really aware of what's going on in my life? Because I'm painfully aware of what's going on in my life. Yeah. 
But you know, the fact that Moses and Elijah came and they knew exactly what was going on in Jesus' life. You know what I want you to write under this, this principle? Write these two words down. Divine dispatches. Do you realize that just as heaven dispatched Moses and Elijah to come and speak into the life of Jesus, do you realize there are people in your world right now that God has divinely dispatched to you to speak into your life? At this moment in time, to say to you what you need to hear. And it's a message from God every bit as real as the message that Moses and Elijah brought to Jesus that day. You see, that's the God of eternity. That's the God of the here and now. That's the God who gave you an eternal spirit. And that's the God who invites you to come and live with Him forever. But what's the danger? Well, here's the danger, and it's our closing thought. Take a look at it. Missing heaven is life's greatest tragedy. Friends, in all the tragedies that you might, you might go home today and turn on your TV and see <clears throat> some family that's encountered a, just an unbelievable tragedy, those things happen. I was watching a golf tournament yesterday, and one of the golfers on the, on the Champions Tour was driving his motor home and the right front tire blew out and he lost control of it and rolled his motor home and he woke up in the, in the wreckage of his motor home with, with, um, with his wife who was dead and his brother who was dead beside him. And they had to amputate the lower portion of his right leg to save his life. That's a pretty good-sized tragedy. But you know something? doesn't compare with missing heaven. I want you to think with me about Peter, James, and John for a minute on top of this mountain. <clears throat> and they've got an audience that no one else in history has ever gotten. They have an audience with Jesus. They have an audience with Moses. And they have an audience with Elijah. That's pretty cool, don't you think? But Peter is missing the whole purpose. They're on the mountain. You know... Think of the audacity of what Peter does. Standing in the presence of Jesus, God in the flesh, standing in the presence of Moses, one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, standing in the presence of Elijah, a man who was translated into heaven and never died, Moses raises his hand and said, I have a suggestion that the three of you probably have overlooked. Think about that. Peter's into making suggestions when he should be into learning. Standing in the presence of Jesus, Peter was actually missing what was going on. What should have been a wonderful encouragement to him. Why? Why these three guys? Well, I can't tell you for sure, but I can tell you this. One of the guys standing there, James, in just a few months is going to be martyred for his faith. You think it's a pretty important thing for him to know that eternity exists and that it's not just all over in the here and now? I think so. Peter, who is standing there, 
listening to Moses and Elijah talk about Jesus coming suffering and death, probably using the C word, crucifixion, which would be the horror of all horrors. History reveals that Peter himself was crucified. He should have been listening. Because God was giving him great encouragement for what he was going to have to go through. And the other guy standing up there was John. And history reveals that John lived longer than all the other apostles. And the only reason he did was because every time they tried to kill him, God wouldn't let him die. They finally boiled that old guy in oil. Right? That's got to be horrible. But what was worse was he walked away. So they exiled him to, to, um, to an island out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea that was far away from anybody and anything and that forbade him ever to leave that island. There to live in loneliness and seclusion. But it was there, my friends, that he received the revelation of God, which is the last book in your Bible. All three of these guys did not have easy roads in life. And they had been given a glimpse into eternity because God knew they would need it to go through what they were going to have to go through. But Peter was too busy talking to hear. And so in the middle of his wonderful suggestion speech, a cloud comes down over the mountain. You think that might get your attention? I'm guessing that was a very ominous looking cloud, right? It descends on the mountain And any time voices come from clouds, people listen. Right? And it was the voice of God. I want you to to focus on what he had to say. He said, this is my son, my chosen one. And then he said three words that would be good for every person who's ever lived. Because they are the key to eternal life. And what were those three words? Listen to him. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.